and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. I'm your host, Bill Words, joined today by Liz Hicks, once again, US Affairs Analyst at the Consumer Choice Center. Liz, how's it going? It's going great, Bill. How are you doing? And the listeners will not hear that I did uh, I did uh, trip up there on your name for no reason whatsoever. I, there's a lot of... Eventually, I have to do like a blooper thing because I trip up on like the most random things. I mean, Liz, how difficult can it be for me to say that? This is the episode of April 28, 2022. It's uh, Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background there. And I'm really glad to have Liz back. Liz, I hope that this time we won't make any... Um, uh, uh, statements on current affairs too much because last time when we did that um, uh, we talked about Nord Stream 2 and then by the time that the episode aired uh, Nord Stream 2 had already been cancelled so I hope we just try not to do that this time (laughs) (laughs) yes hopefully we won't do that but we'll see you know we're just trying to predict the future so we're doing our best here exactly and all for all the listeners we are recording this a bit ahead of time because i'll be traveling and i thought uh, i'll get liz on the program so this will be uh, broadcasted i think about a week later uh, then, then so again, very, very dangerous there. And uh, also for those interested in the in, in commentary on the French election, presidential election, we're recording this before the runoff. So uh, the next week we will be talking about whoever won. Um, and uh, not making any predictions now because I'm always wrong on these things. So Liz, today we are talking about three different topics. Uh, let me just run run our listeners through it. One, we're talking about uh, mask mandates being stopped in public transit in the U.S. Interesting topic there. Judicial uh, judicial overhaul there on 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 that system. Uh, then we're talking about should you eat three times a day. The BBC had an interesting article, and we'll be commenting on that. And then also uh, CNN uh, travel had an interesting article on sort of the uh, the difficulties of travel right now. A lot of airlines having uh, staff shortages and traveling this summer might be difficult. And we can be talking about We'll be talking about um, um, sort of the reasons for that. So, uh, all right, Liz, let's get started. So uh, this is something you probably know most about because it's been commented all over Twitter, all over social media. A judge in uh, Florida, if I'm getting this uh, right, uh, helped overturn the mask mandate in public transit. So that's public transport uh, airlines and and all these things. Um, So tell us a bit about that. How did this happen? Um, who's like was there was this a big lawsuit did it go on for a long time and sort of what have been the reactions to this being overturned yeah I would say this is a bigger lawsuit I mean as you know the United States is very litigious so there's lawsuits all the time Um, but you know some of these lawsuits do produce pretty fruitful results and this one was pretty shocking to a lot of us I would say with the mask mandates throughout you know this whole COVID time it's They've been here for a couple of years already. We're really hopeful they're going to leave soon. But a lot of us are just, you know, cautiously optimistic as to when that's going to be. There's been the mandates that keep getting pushed back and they keep extending um, the deadline for when they can be lifted and things like that. And then there's been a lot of talk around uh, mask mandates, especially when it comes to travel and in these transportation hubs. So there was a bill through, I believe it was through Congress, I don't know if it's Senate or the House, but through one of the chambers there um, demanding to lift the mask mandate on travel. Um, it didn't pass through, I think it passed through the Senate, not through the House. Um, and so that one died, unfortunately. But this one was very interesting where they did it through the federal aspect um, or through the legal aspect. And so what happened is there were, um, it was a federal court uh, where it was Health Freedom Defense Fund and two frequent air travelers. Um, basically brought this case against the administration. Um, And the judge there, as you said, did rule that um, 
basically that the mandate violated the what is known as the Administrative Procedure Act um, and is outside of the CDC's scope and authority to be able to extend this mandate. And they said that the mandate was the judge, these are the judge's words, said that it was arbitrary and capricious. So I was like, I love that. That's fascinating. Wow. Yes. And so not going through the required notice and comment period for federal rulemaking. Um, and so just by, you know, kind of arbitrarily extending this again and again and again is becoming a bit burdensome and maybe unpopular. But a lot of this is not, in my opinion, entirely rooted in science. Um, and so I think that's something that people are starting to um, get frustrated by and are starting to, you know, I don't think anyone here is hoping that, you know, COVID cases rise and um, anything that happens, but at the same time, let's use, you know, evidence-based policymaking as well. So the reaction, as I'm sure you can imagine, has been very polarized um, as the United States is in general. Um, But I would say, you know, for those who are not excited about COVID continuing to persist, they're excited about the mask mandate being lifted. And they're like, yes, let's make this happen. Um, however, the other side is, you know, very concerned about the mask mandate being lifted um, and, of course, wants to ensure that everyone is safe. But there's just a lot of disagreement as to how to keep people safe at this point. Um, and I'm sure I don't I'm not alone here, but I'm tired of being locked in the house and being told I have to wear a mask everywhere. So I'm excited to see this happen. Um, We'll see how much it sticks and how much it um, continues to kind of make its ripple effect throughout the country. Again, this was just in Florida is where this court was. Um, And so we will see what that looks like for the rest of the country. Yeah. And I mean, if we go to the faraway place of 2021, uh, I think the the, the notion then was uh, if you get vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Mm -hmm. That that was quickly changed as well because, because it seemed not. I mean, my my view, and I, this, that might just be my theory, is that the masks are important to governments because they re, they are sort of the only reminder that there's still a pandemic. Yeah. Right. So because it's a visual reminder, you see it. Like if if they, if it wasn't for the mask, like there would be no identifiable factors because the social distancing that people have kind of really given that up, and 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 that's about it, right? And with posters and so on, you couldn't do it. The mask reminds you and others that there is still something to be careful about. And I don't think it necessarily has all the positive effects it, it's prescribed to. Um, it, it's it's just a convenient way of keeping it in in, in sort of like in, in in the mindset like oh if I have the symptoms I should get tested because you know people are wearing masks yeah. so that's um, that's part of it as well. How does it work in practice though? So you say this is only for Florida. So what happens if I take a flight and I fly in New York, Tampa? Will I take the mask off? as soon as I enter Floridian airspace? I I mean, you know, I'm not sure on the actual specifics of how this will work. And I think they're still trying to kind of navigate that and figure out what it means in practice. I mean, this, I think, was a really great first step to say, like, look, we're we're kind of over the masks, especially on on, you know, on planes and things like that. And for planes, I recently had a pretty long flight. It's about 16 hours. And to be wearing a mask that whole time, it's just not practical. Um, And again, like these policies, they're just not evidence-based in my opinion, especially when it comes to planes. I mean, planes have the air filtration system on them. And so it's like very clean air being refiltered through constantly. Also, so my flight that I had, it was very long and it was a full, entirely full flight. Um, And as we were boarding, they're telling us, all right, make sure you stay socially distant, like while you board the flight. 
And then we're all just getting like shoved into this plane like sardines. So it's like, how, what is the exactly, point? This yeah. is all like just theatrical to some extent. And then when you're on the plane, okay, yeah, sure. Like if the policies wear the mask, I'll wear the mask. I get it's, you know, not the airline that's imposing it per se. It's, you know, governments and whatnot. And they're just enforcing um but then it's like we're all taking our masks off at the exact same time to eat and drink and we're all touching the same surfaces so it's just i think at this point you know if you are fearful of covid or contracting covid then you need to take your own individual precautions to protect yourself but to expect that everybody else has to jump through these extra hoops for you i think is a bit unreasonable um again and like i think what you said too it's like you know, if you're not feeling well then don't travel don't don't go outside don't go to public spaces like maybe you should do your including own for your own sake exactly exactly including for your own sake just i mean i think that's sort of the the reason-based approach is like well if you around vulnerable people don't visit your grandma if you have covid mm -hmm. you know it's like that that sounds reasonable to everyone yeah. and i think nobody was objecting objecting to to that responsibility being taken what i think is interesting also in this story and, and i think there might be the divergence here between sort of how many european countries work and the us is that what i find fascinating is that there's a judge that questions to what extent the CDC, uh, the, this is for the European listeners, this is sort of the, um, the European medical agency equivalent in, in, in the US, um, w was not actually able to decide these things and the government not being able to delegate that to, to a health body. And that's what we've been doing all along in all European countries is there's this council. It's different in every country in France. It's a it's a council of PhD professors, political people and so on. And so they decide on the rules and the government just implements that. Um, and, and here it's different now. Of course, the, as far as I understand, the Biden administration might appeal this decision and then we'll, we'll, we'll see from there how it goes. Yeah. But I think it's an it's an it's it's a good testimony to what extent the, the different branches of government are actually able to um to, to watch each other. Um, and, and, and I think, yeah, it's, it's a testimony to the, the, the American justice system working for, for well, for once. Yeah, at least. for once. <laughs> it's always working, not always in the best way. But this time, I think it worked out pretty well. So we'll see. We'll see how it progresses. But again, I do think it is a step in the right direction. I think it's an important uh, you know, checks and balance on on power here in the U.S. and who can make these decisions. So I think that's really important. And, you know, props to the judge there and the district court in Florida. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just maybe one little anecdote. I actually took a train recently from Amsterdam to uh, to Bruges in Belgium. Mm. And then on the border to Belgium, you were being told that the people you're sitting next to uh, now, everyone, including you, has to wear a mask because you just entered the Belgian territory and the mask is mandatory mm. on trains in Belgium, um, which is that that is very strange. And to see how, how it works the opposite way as well. Mm. Uh, anyway, let's move uh, from from this topic. And because we talked about planes, let's actually move to well, we're staying in aviation. Yes. CNN Travel had this article, it was quite interesting, and I think there have been other media outlets that have been saying the same, and in a way sort of predictable that uh, the shortages, the staff shortages affect airlines quite significantly. Initially, it was about people being quarantined for COVID purposes, but then overall, um, I can imagine if you're a flight attendant and you, you know, you, during COVID in the early stages, you were like, well, this this industry might not last, my company might not last, yeah. so might, maybe I'll change the jobs and do something else. 
that has affected airlines significantly. Now the warnings that if you're traveling this summer, uh, uh, your airport might become your hotel for uh, for a day or two. And this has happened to quite a few people during storms, but it also seems to happen now uh, in summer. Um, so I, I find this quite interesting, uh, uh, Liz. I'm pretty sure you have some horror stories oh, of, yeah. of getting stuck in airports. So uh, any stories there and, 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 and sort of your feeling on, on, on sort of the... the the effects of COVID on the on the aviation sector. Yeah, it's really done a, a number on the aviation industry here in the sector there. I think a lot of what you said is totally true where, you know, there, are, there were a lot of folks who worked for the airlines once COVID hit. Of course, I mean, there weren't many flights going at all during COVID. It was, especially when it first kicked off, it, at least in the U.S., it was just like essential travel at best. Um, and people were just not moving around. So I think, yeah, there was a lot of, job insecurity there for those airline people and they probably yeah prompted to either switch careers or or find something else to do um i mean since this has happened though yeah the airlines have been an absolute disaster and i feel bad for the airline staff truly i mean again like i said this earlier but you know they're not the ones making these rules on like if you have to wear a mask if you don't if you gotta have a test or you don't they're just the the unfortunate ones who have to enforce it which i also think is a reason why maybe there are a lot less staff i mean they're expected to almost be like the mask police now and deal with so many um you know frustrated consumers who are flying and that's not an easy job to have, in my opinion. Some heart goes out to them. But at the end of the day, like for consumers, the process and experience has definitely declined to travel. Um, when I flew back, I was recently abroad, flew back to the U.S., had to go through O'Hare, which is a big airport in Chicago. Um, and it was really interesting because there was three big flights that had just landed. So there was probably at least a thousand of us that need to go through customs and there's only three customs agents and so it took us three hours to get through customs and so many people miss their connecting flight and then they're stuck there and then they have to wait and some of them you know have to stay overnight because depending on where their destination is you know there's not constant flights going and so there's just been a lot of that happening where the understaffing has led to longer lines longer wait times more missed flights, missed connections, things like that. So it's been very, very troublesome. And then you put in the whole rental car situation. So for me, I live in Lansing, Michigan, which is about four hour drive from Chicago, maybe a little more, a little less, depending on how fast I drive. <laughs> but um, so I could easily have just, if I missed my flight, I could rent a car from Chicago and drive up to Lansing. However, in the U.S. market, that would be more expensive than a flight would cost to fly there with the rental cost, gas prices, and everything else. And Or even buying yourself a car for the purpose. Right? I mean, honestly, <laughs> buying a car is like almost a better deal than just renting one. So it's just really insane. I also saw two recently. So United Airlines, obviously a big airline here in the U.S. that flies internationally. Um, they started this thing called, um, it's like a United Bus Service, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. But basically, I looked into it more because originally I thought they were just saying like, okay, you know, we're not going to do as many flights, too expensive right now. We'll just bus you people around. I was like, that's not quite your expertise, but that's fine. But what they're doing is actually kind of interesting. So I, I saw they're active currently in Denver at the Denver airport. And what they do is um, if you say you fly into Denver, but that's not your final destination, it's somewhere else in Colorado, maybe like Breckenridge, which is a big ski resort or, you know, somewhere around there. Um, and so they'll have these little buses that you can take that will take you from the airport to your final destination. And the whole point is to like 
if there aren't regional jets where it is feasible and makes sense for you to go from, you know, one area to another, it's pretty short. They're starting to bus people. I thought that was kind of clever. Personally, as a consumer, I don't think I'd be super eager to hop on a United bus. However, if that's my only option, I think it is a great, you know, it's great that they have it and that they're doing that as opposed to just not having flights. Um, so I think that's a nice kind of innovative solution. But yeah, air travel right now is a mess. The summer, I think, is going to be absolutely chaotic. Um, and the other thing, too, that makes it challenging is just all of the other restrictions, especially if you're going internationally, like to know, do you need a test? Do you not need a test? If you're vaccinated, do you need a test? Do you not? Um, and things like that. It makes it very hard. And every country has their own regulations. So recently went to Dubai and you needed a QR code to get in for your vaccine, um, which for some reason, Michigan does not have QR codes for vaccines. We're a little behind the times on this. Um, and I called my pharmacy to ask if they could get me a QR code. Their response was, what's a QR code? <laughs> so <laughs> oh, wow. slightly behind, <laughs> that's fine. Um, and so just like things like that. So I ended up getting a test beforehand just to be safe. But um, with all of these complications and extra hoops to jump through, plus the shortages and staff and everything else, I just, yeah, traveling this summer is going to be um, very burdensome for many consumers, I suspect. And, and each time I see the results, and, and I mean, this is this this will continue for a while because I mean, one effect is the the restrictions that we had during during the height of the pandemic. But this now we're just getting the wave of that. And and I always think of this uh, this 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 Facebook comment I saw of somebody saying like, "Oh, Bill, why are you so worried about the pandemic restrictions? Mm-hmm. People will just spend their money later." As if that's how the economy works. Right. And now we just kind of really see the real effects of, of this. And this will hit us for a while. And, and people will try and blame something else because the pandemic's already gone in the heads of many people, as in sort of the, the, the effects of the measures. And, and I think that will hit us pretty hard. But I also think that this is this tells us a bit of something about um, the the sector itself. Mm-hmm. Because what we've seen is in, in Europe is that apart from one airline, which is Alitalia, which uh, was, was was bailed out by the Italian state about four or five times, and now finally uh, bought by the state itself. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but, but most of the airlines, um, I think with the exception of one in the UK, was saved by the government. And I, I, I'm just thinking, like, how would this have looked if we hadn't done that? Because the airlines were just safely banking on, well, we can continue to pay this staff mm-hmm. and we can continue these processes and we keep these slots at airports. And as long as the money is flowing, there's no need to change anything, right? If um, certain airlines would have been able to get out of business and they were airlines already struggling after three days of not being able to fly and i'm sorry if as a company this large three days <laughs> is a problem for you and lufthansa need to borrow nine billion oh euros from the german goodness. government um some of these were actually grants i think it's 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 the loan the loans are a bit less but there's also a lot of grants there um i'm sorry that's just that's just not responsible uh not responsible like company operations yeah. there and i think you kind of deserve to be going out of business and then new entrepreneurs will find ways to do this more efficiently. I think what we're sitting on now is, okay, yeah, the, 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 the airlines have definitely suffered, suffered under the measures and, and th- there's no responsibility on their part on, on, on that. But, I mean, who knows, right? If we had a storm uh, that would have, I mean, we had 
it was 2012 there was a there was a volcano in iceland completely unpronounceable name <laughs> and it's i think even part of the u.s couldn't fly yeah. as a result of this of this volcano yeah. erupting and then it took three weeks and and there were airlines that were in significant trouble it's like if you cannot cope with that then maybe somebody else need to needs to needs to use those funds to to do it more efficiently and i don't think it's the government by the way so i i think i think there some some parts of this problem that we're experiencing this summer is, is, is based on our decision to bail out companies that really didn't deserve it. I totally agree. I think there's something beautiful about this idea of creative destruction when, you know, an industry is not doing well, let it die and let it like creatively destroy itself. So something better that's more prosperous and more efficient and more optimized for consumers can emerge. And I, we see this all happen a lot with a lot of different industries, especially throughout history of them getting bailed out by government because of an emergency or something that happens. But then the the other side of that, what happens afterwards is this company doesn't change. It's how it operates or its efficiency or, you know, it just continues to do the same things that got them into this point in the first place. And so it's, to me, it's almost like, it's like a prolonging of this happening again. It's like, when will the airlines need to be bailed out again? When will other industries need to be bailed out again? Um, and it's the whole idea of like, you know, too big to fail. It's like, well, if they're going to fail, they're going to fail, let them fail. But also then let's let someone else like an entrepreneur or somebody come in and be able to create something that is going to disrupt the way that that market currently operates to make it more effective and, and better for consumers. Exactly. Maybe for your reference, an airline such as Lufthansa, the, the German airline, uh, they own a bunch of other brands. So mm -hmm. they own Brussels Airlines, Swiss Airlines, Austrian Airlines. And all of these are kept sort of as separate companies owned by Lufthansa AG. And then Lufthansa was able to get every single sub-branch of theirs bailed out by their member states. So for instance, Austrian Airlines needs to persist because the Austrian state wants to feel good about having an airline called Austrian Airlines yeah. that services the, their market. But then, of course, Aust Austria, the government, will then bail out uh, Austrian Airlines, which is just part of a larger group that already received a bailout from Belgium and a bailout from Switzerland and a bailout from, from, from Germany itself. So, and Italy as well, because they own like a small airline that's Slovenian and Italian. And, and, and they get all these money from different, even, even though it's just for the, you know, it's all the same shareholders, yeah. all the same board. So I think that's, a, that's also something where corporations should be more creative in um, uh, suggesting services, not getting creative in terms of to game the government to get as much money out of the pockets of taxpayers and consumers um, uh, by, by, by doing this. Um, so uh, let's move on from this, though. Let's <laughs> go to could, a happier we topic. We could talk about airlines all day. <laughs> oh, yeah, on. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I mean, look. I'm happy to talk about. I'm happy to talk about airlines suffering from the taxes imposed on mm -hmm. them, and I mean, consumers do end up paying those yeah. taxes anyway. But it's but it's but it's airlines that that operate differently as a result of bans on domestic flights, mm -hmm. which some countries are discussing in Europe, and all these extra eco taxes. I'm all against that. I'm happy to fight with the airlines if that's <laughs> if that's the fight they want to do. Uh, unfortunately, they're not very helpful in that either because very often the airlines say oh yeah but our competitors will not be able to deal with these taxes as well so we'll support them for environmental reasons whatever um but i think i think i think in this case when it comes to the bailouts like i'm definitely no friend of the airlines no. even though i use them quite a yes. bit um but that's more out of necessity uh, not necessarily the love for the individual companies um let's talk about a bit of a happier topic where we can't blame anyone particularly um but but i think <laughs> but i think it's an interesting an interesting one i saw this on the bbc mm -hmm. it's a section on the bbc called bbc future um and it's should we be eating three meals a day 
And so first of all, I thought, okay, when I saw this, it felt a bit like the Economist headline with like two years ago when it said like, oh, the um, was it millions of Chinese people are getting out of poverty into middle class. They'll be eating meat. What we should what should we do to prevent it? I thought it was like it was going to be an environmental kind of thing. Uh, but it isn't political. It's sort of the, the nutritional mm-hmm. uh, value of uh, of eating three times a day. And um, they have some interesting facts in there. And, and I think I think it's interesting to consider it because I've met people who do this intermittent fasting yeah. thing as people who do it for religious reasons. Those listeners who, uh, who are who are uh, uh, Muslims know right now it's Ramadan. Yes, Ramadan so, uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and the more it is, by the way, in, in, in summer, the worse it is because the days are longer and it's not it's not fun to not be able to drink water or eat anything no. for the for the majority of the day. So, um, yeah. So, Liz, your thoughts on this? I'm pretty sure um, where you live, there's a lot of people who have a lot of ideas on specific diets oh, yeah. and when to eat and <laughs> what's too early, what's too late. So um, what are your thoughts on this? I, you know, I thought this was really interesting. I also thought reading it that there was going to be some sort of political angle to it. But it really was just like an educational little piece. I thought it was actually quite nice. Um, And it was interesting because, you know, what they're saying essentially is that evolutionarily, our bodies are not made to consume food constantly, that we are evolutionary designed more so to fast and then feast is what they described it as in this article. Um, And I think that's interesting because, I mean, if you think back to that, like, yeah, people weren't eating breakfast every morning probably it was more so like gotta wake up gotta go find your food and then you can eat and then start yeah, it again you didn't have a fridge <laughs> right and you don't know exactly when you're gonna find food right. so and you wouldn't keep it you would eat it when you have it i mean it's a, it's an uh, sorry to cut no, you off and and, and 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 please don't forget what you were saying but it's a bit an interesting comparison between um uh, uh, a stray cat and a cat you would like you know just have in your your indoor cat home cat because a stray cat you cannot um, put food in a bowl um, mm. and, and just leave it there because they will eat everything at once because they don't know when their next meal, meal is, is yeah. going to be. And while in regular your regular house cat, indoor cat, will eat as much as it, as it needs at that moment and eat multiple times throughout the day. And I think, I mean, humans being animals, it was sort of similar. You would eat as much as you could because you don't know when your next meal right. was. And now that we can organize it, we've kind of established this three times a day with all the snacking that goes on in between. But yeah, but yeah no, carry on. I, I, I thought that was... No, that is super uh, interesting. It is because, you know, I think, again, like we're designed or we're designed to, or we should say we evolved to be, you know, to fast and then feast more so. But now with the rise of capitalism and everything that we have, I mean, I don't have to go look for my next, I don't have to go like hunt to get my next meal. I can just roll up to the McDonald's drive through and there it is. So I think that's... Unless it's a discount, <laughs> unless it's a discount and you might have to find right, it. Right, exactly. Then I might have to throw some elbows to get what I want. But um, it is interesting. And it's fascinating to me too, because throughout the years, we've heard so many different things in this area. So it's always hard for me to know, like, what is the reality? What is the truth? And, um, I know for a long time, I mean, at first it was like three meals a day is what needs to happen. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day is what we're always taught. Um, but then later, I think maybe when I was like in high school or college, the narrative became like six small meals a day was more the appropriate amount where it's like six smaller almost like snacks or meals, like very tiny meals. But the other thing too, that's interesting. We always joke about this whenever we're together is the American portion size versus the rest of the world portion size. Vastly. Yeah. What's a snack vastly for you? Different. <laughs> yeah. So when I'm saying like a snack size, I almost feel like that's not translating because it's, it probably is what you would consider to be more so of a European sized meal. Um, 
but this is the other issue too with just Americans in general. It's like we are a very obese population. We love processed food. We love corn syrup. We love all the things that are giving us diabetes. Um, and that's a problem. So I can appreciate the idea of like, okay, we'll eat less more often. Um, but for me personally, I do intermittent fasting. Um, so I will not oh, eat nice. from like 8 p.m. at night until about like noon the next day. Um, and for me, it's just kind of nice because then it's, you know, you don't have to worry about like eating all day long. <laughs> I feel like for me as an American, once I start eating, I don't want to stop eating. <laughs> so maybe it's not an American thing. Maybe it's just me. But I think um, the whole idea of the like three meals a day, I think is really fascinating. But I mean, I'm curious, do you eat breakfast every day? Are you a three meal a day kind of guy? Oh, yeah, I need breakfast. I need when I after I wake up, I need something. I I, I don't want to talk to anyone <laughs> until I until I had any type of food. And it doesn't even need to be much like and, and I thought that was interesting, because what you're referring to now is also in the article, there was this one uh, a scientist who says, uh, quote, when the clock says 12pm, we may get feelings to eat. Or you might be conditioned to eat breakfast in the morning, but this is nonsense. Data shows that if you don't eat breakfast, you're going to eat fewer calories overall that day. Mm-hmm. I, I I think instinctively that sounds true because, I mean, there have been situations where it's like, I mean, you need to catch a flight, you need to catch a train, and you, you just have to skip breakfast. Yeah. And I feel like for, throughout the whole rest of the day, I just eat differently and I end up eating less. I just don't know if it holds up. Because the, I feel like always the next day I just end up even hungrier <laughs> and then I just eat whatever. Because, I mean, that was sort of – I had this – I was once on this TV show as a TRT World, as a, an international channel. We talked about um, uh, the fat taxes and, and yeah. I said, look – people ultimately want to consume a certain amount of nutrients, right? If you get, uh, there was also red meat they wanted to tax or ban yeah. or restrict and so on. And I said, well, the thing is like you come home after a long trip and there's no meat in the fridge. It's like, well, you just eat more candy corn, <laughs> whatever is available, right? I mean, you, you'll, you'll, you're going to try and you're going to try and keep, get that in somehow, right? And so I, I think it's overall about habits and getting yourself yeah. used to it. But I mean, for, for me, breakfast is, is important. Um, but there were some other parts in this article where I felt like ultimately I'm not quite sure how much information, like if, if I felt like a life changing uh, moment would came through in this article because they, there was another expert that said, uh, wait, let me find this. Da, 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 da. Oh, um, there was another expert who says, doesn't rec- she doesn't recommend uh, sticking to one meal a day since this can increase the level of glucose in your blood when you're not eating, known as fasting glucose. Mm-hmm. High levels of fasting glucose over a long period of time is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. And then later, she says two or three meals a day is best with most of the calories consumed earlier in the day. This is because eating late at night is associated with cardiometabolic disease, yeah. including diabetes and heart disease, which I, I always thought as well was sort of taught to mm-hmm. me that this is sort of the Mediterranean way of eating quite late is unhealthy because, I mean, you don't really have time to really burn, burn it off, calories yeah. either. Um, so, but how does that, how does that work for you? Because, I mean, I don't know, like, how, how, how does your schedule work exactly again? Um, so it's like, when do you so eat? I stop eating at night at 8 p.m. So then it gives me like that little window of like, I mean, I'll usually go to bed like before midnight. Um, and so it gives me a little window to like, you know, move around and not just keep eating. And then I don't eat until noon the next day. Um, and so that is interesting though. I mean, that's Oprah. I love Oprah, but that's something that I learned from Oprah back in the day is like, if you eat late at night, like then your body just stores that because it's no longer active. It's like kind of in the like restorative rest mode and it's now, you know, doing everything it needs to do while you're sleeping. 
Um, but you're not obviously physically active at that point if you're fast asleep. So that I think is really fascinating. Um, and then also like for the morning time, I mean, I used to be a big breakfast person. I also, I'll eat breakfast food like all day long. So for me, breakfast is just the time of when you eat breakfast food is always welcome to my house. But, um, like in the morning, I don't, for a while, you know, you would feel kind of hungry in the morning, but then you just get over it. Um, but I think like kind of what you said too, it is just interesting. I think a lot of it's psychological because then it's like, once I haven't ate for so long, I'm like, oh, am I really that hungry? And I don't know. I think for me, and I'm sure many Americans, we're bored eaters. We get bored and then we eat because there's so many yummy snacks like candy corn and like all the you know Cheetos, all the good stuff. So I think that's part of it too. That's interesting. But again, it's just, there's so much conflicting stuff here. It's hard to know, you know, what the, uh, I guess like hard hitting facts are, but I think too, it's like whatever works for for your lifestyle. I mean, I think that's what you should do as long as you're being somewhat healthy or don't be healthy, but yeah, whatever you want is fine. I think we're about 30 years into the different types of diets and the different things that people care about. I I remember it was, um, was it omega three something, something? I remember when that was like a thing that everybody really cared about Mm -hmm. and then people were eating a lot of fish and then, and then it was uh, uh, gluten. Gluten, I think, still the thing. I mean, yep. I used to work in uh, as a student. I used to work in uh, in an organic, um, well, shop for sandal wearing people. Um, so, and they would sort of the Whole Foods equivalent yeah. in Europe, something like that. And I worked there. And then, you know, like as when when you when you work at these places, then if something is like well close to expiry date or like the packaging was broken, then we could try it mm-hmm. because it would be sort of in the cafeteria. None of this tastes like anything. I'm, I'm really sorry for the people who really have celiac disease and they have to eat gluten-free <laughs> because it doesn't taste like anything. I just don't get it. No. So, I mean, with these things, like, co- constantly people suggest new diets that are supposed to, like, change everything when it comes to food. Um, I don't know. I, I, I admire people who found their thing and it works for them. Yeah. Um, you know, and if, if that's keto or if that's only, like, eating greens or whatever, yeah. I mean... Uh, I totally support that. And that, and that to me, even does make a policy point because um, on policy, when like sort of the government tries to create nutritional labeling and scores and this is how you should eat and this is what we recommend. I mean, on the individual level, I just don't get how that's going to how that works out for people, because I mean, there's a lot of advice and interesting info that I also get from these articles. But ultimately, this is just about how you feel comfortable and and, and also the measurable factors right i mean do you gain weight do you lose weight do you feel more fit do you can you do your can you do your fitness with this diet right i mean that's what people should be interested in and we're all different right yeah definitely and yeah with the science changing constantly something you said reminded me of i mean back when i was growing up saturated fats were like enemy number one food wise but now the science shows that actually saturated fats are much better for you than originally thought and that if you don't have a lot of saturated fats, it actually can lead to pretty substantial health problems. So it's just all very interesting. I think at the end of the day, yeah, I wouldn't trust everything that these agencies say, um, but I would just do what's you know best for you and and what you think works for your lifestyle. So it's it's like the food pyramid. I'm not sure if you had the oh, food yeah. pyramid as well. <laughs> when white bread was at the very top, this is a really important thing to eat. And now white bread is like banned. So right. Don't eat that. It's going to transform into sugar. Right. I mean, with these things, like I, I, that's what I always say when we talk about these labeling things. I think, um, I, 
I mean, we make mistakes when we sort of try and find out how to do... Like, nutritional science is complicated because... And, and a friend of mine who studies this said, this is an inexact science because we can't create a con- an experimental control group and then make people only eat a certain thing right. for 20 years because that's not... Like, no, who would participate in something like that, right? I mean, you can do it with people who they informed you that this is how they ate for 20 years. But even then, I mean, like, with changing health trends, you'll always be out of date. So you can't create reliable data on this. Yes. So we kind of have to go with sort of the limited knowledge we have. But when we make, when we print it into a textbook for primary and secondary schools and whatever, middle school, yeah. high schools yeah. for, for the US <laughs> listeners, um, uh, is that if you make a mistake, you make the mistake collectively because this is how you educated people. And that's, you know, it's better to make mistakes as like a smaller group or as an individual when it comes to these diets. And then you inform your peers rather than just, you know, basing your education system on sort of dodgy nutritional science. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one interesting thing that's come from all of these different like fads, if you will, in um, like diets and, and, you know, health and whatnot is the amount of like innovation that we've seen as a result um, like Amy were mentioning people who can't have gluten. So my husband doesn't eat gluten. And so, but we'll still eat like pizzas and, you know, all, all the good stuff. Um, uh, but they have all these products now that are alternatives. And so like for pizza, it'll be, which he also doesn't eat dairy. So it's like, how the hell is going to eat pizza? But, um, so, you know, it's like chickpea crust, like chickpea flour crust, which is actually pretty good. Highly recommend. And then they have vegan cheese. That's like, I don't, I honestly have no idea what it's actually made out of, but it's um, something. <laughs> Do we want to know? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, it's not, I mean, look, I mean, it's like uh, with these gluten-free stuff, maybe they've also innovated a lot since I worked in that shop. I don't know. But but when I tried it, it was, just, it was, bad. It was just not for me. But I mean, I mean, look, there's a bigger market now. Yeah. And I think it's actually a cool thing with the people who, because there's people who cannot eat gluten right. right i mean it's like a genuine real health yeah. and then there's also people who think they <laughs> right. should not eat gluten and there's a lot of those too <laughs> but actually <laughs> they created the but they created the market for it right yeah. and so incidentally actually um even if it's just a trend it creates a whole new product range for people who have celiac disease who really would die if they would eat certain products so in a way i mean there's sort of a, a positive market response to it yeah. because now there's more choices and more shops and so on and now i mean you go to your regular supermarket and you will find a lot more product than you would have 20 years ago yeah. so that, that's great i mean choices uh, love choices that's what we're here we for we love choices especially when it comes to the meat side as well i think that one also really fascinates me i think it's really really cool where you know with the impossible meat and whatnot um, so folks, I mean, obviously if you're vegan or you don't consume meat products, like that's just a great option for that. But then from an environmental standpoint, it seems that this also has some kind of cool benefits potentially as well with just, you know, being needing less energy, if you will, to have it be produced. Um, I think it's kind of a, a cool aspect as well. So lots of fun food yeah, options. Next time, exactly. And next time I come to the US, I finally need to try the impossible. Oh, burger. yes. It's unfortunately banned in the European Union because what? the evil gen- genomic uh, oh, uh, in, yeah. uh, genetic modification that has been happening to make it. So um, we have the Beyond Meat, but okay. we don't have the impossible one. So I'll have to try it and, and see what all the fuss yes. is about that I've been reading about. You can literally get them um, at Burger King. You can go to Burger King and get an impossible burger. Wonderful. It's peak America right there. <laughs> 
come join us as uh, the american institution i will i will i will make sure to join it that's about as much time as we have today liz thank you so much for joining us thank you remind our listeners where they can follow you on twitter follow me at eo hicks on twitter instagram all the social medias Wonderful. Thank you so much. And make sure that you follow the Consumer Choice Center as well at Consumer Choice C. I've been one and a half of your hosts today. Uh, my name is Bill Woods. And uh, yeah, see you Thursday. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You have to learn.